Imagine not knowing what your income would be each week. Financial planning would be a nightmare. Almost 90% of Vision's income is free will donations. When supporters commit to monthly giving, it provides greater certainty when budgeting for regular expenses and weighing up new opportunities that arise. Knowing we can rely on regular gifts each month takes some of the guesswork out of operating a faith ministry. Monthly givers who share our mission are called Visionary Extra Mile Partners. And right now, you're invited to join this growing group of faithful supporters. The amount of your tax-deductible monthly gift is completely up to you. What is most important is knowing that you are standing with us to reach Australia for the gospel. Click the banner at vision.org.au or in the Vision app to find out more about becoming a Visionary Extra Mile Partner. It only takes a few minutes, but will have an eternal impact. Vision. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. If anyone is qualified to intervene in this discussion, it's the good professor. He's a renal physician. The director of renal medicine at Westmead Hospital is a member of the Advisory Council of the Australian Organ and Tissue Authority, as well as an immediate past president of the Transplantation Society and advisory member of the World Health Organization. An impressive CV for a very busy man. Professor, a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for your time. Let's start with the booming trade in illegal organ trafficking. Give us an idea of the scale of of this underground industry? The WHO estimated in 2005, 2006, there were about 100,000 transplants being done a year. And at that time, they estimated about 10,000 were um, illegal commercial trafficked kidneys. And um, traditionally, how does that transaction evolve? So let's look at the options for you. You want a kidney? Yeah. You've gone on the internet, you've found a few places. You've talked to a few brokers. They've um, said, well, we need your blood group and we need your tissue type and um, we need some blood samples. And so you go to your doctor and you get your blood group and your tissue type and then you send it to the broker. Now, that broker might be operating, for example, in a country where there are impoverished um, individuals um, prepared to sell an organ. Um, they might have access to people who are impoverished and prepared to sell an organ. Um, And the patient receives a transplant in China, which may or may not be successful. In other forms of trafficking, it's generally credited to organised gangs and and large multinational illegal corporations who are running the Mm -hmm. systems, sex trafficking, for example. Is that the case with organ trafficking as well? Basically not. The, you know, I went to an Interpol um, conference to discuss this issue with uh, with Interpol, and their perception, their starting assumption was that it was like that, that these were the bands who were moving on from drug trafficking to sex exploitation to child trafficking to organ trafficking, but that's not really the case because what you need is quite different in those other to those other circumstances. You need a hospital, you need a hospital facilities, you need surgeons, you need you need a whole. Th- raft of facility that are not available to the um, uh, those sorts of illicit traffickers. Now, this is a, a process of brokers who've sometimes sold their own kidney and worked out how it can be uh, can, uh, can make it centre. work. Yes. Yeah, I mean, sort of Tupperware parties only sell your kidney parties. Yeah. Um, uh, and then there are some organised hospitals that go about doing this trade. 
um, in China, in Mexico, in other places. Is it ever ethically okay to sell an organ? Um, could you sell me your right hand? I'd like to buy your right hand. Is there a sum of money that I could buy your right hand? But if I agree to sell it to you, does that make it unethical? No, no, no. I'm asking, would you sell me your right hand? 100,000? Million? Where's the number at which you would sell me your right hand? Is it right that there are people who are impoverished? Should we place those poor people in jeopardy? You give me your right hand instead of your children? Certainly. Precisely. So why should we permit, because we're a wealthy society, individuals to trade like that on other people's poverty? It's outrageous. And yet there would be some who, without any investment in the subject, look at this prima facie and say the, di the disparity between organ donation and the loss of life at the other end must justify some level of exchange. Well, actually, no. What there are, there are people who are um, imbued in the market philosophy as the only mechanism for controlling human behaviour. They live in Wall Street. You've seen them on the television. You've seen them on the films. And those people see the solution to the problem with organ donation as being simply to do with money. And you can use money to alter human behaviour. You're just asking that, essentially. Can we use money to alter human behaviour to derive enough organs for transplantation? And the answer to that is no, because there are other things than money that drive people. Most of your listeners, they're not driven solely by money. Without doubt. Everybody is driven by another ethic. They're driven by altruism. They're driven by charity. They're driven by pity. They're driven by the desire to help. Um, and those are things which drive the organ donation program for the other 100,000 transplants that work around the world. And we want to ditch that because we think the market philosophy is going to work. In fact, the market philosophy takes away. And it's quite interesting. There are some countries where deceased organ donor families are paid some money for the deceased organ donation. And the conflict that that drives into the family, you got money for selling granny's kidneys. I want some of that money. And then you get to the point where people go, if I take the money, people will think I sold granny's kidneys. I don't want the money. So now you've destroyed the altruistic process yeah. by trying to drive a market force in. So inappropriate and not the solution. So I'll tell you a little story. I went to uh, visit a smaller Asian country and they were appalled and shocked in that hospital that we knew about their trafficking outside they thought they were a little hospital in a little city in a little country that wouldn't receive any notice and so I, I had to explain to them that don't you realize the first thing that happens after your patient's been discharged so you try to get the patient out of your hospital and out of your country as quickly as possible and in fact they vastly over immunosuppress patients okay to prevent them rejecting yeah to get them out as quickly as possible without any trouble um you know yeah you can guarantee that um, the patient leaves and when they land in their country of origin what's the first thing they do the first thing they do is they go and see their specialist absolutely absolutely they say I've had a transplant yeah. six days ago I'm on these drugs and the guy goes <laughs> what wow. and how could you be on this number of drugs and where did you get your transplant and so within a, a mean of about six hours of this patient landing in their country they're talking to a physician who will talk to me and say, guess what, Jeremy? We've had another transplant from 
XY hospital in XY country. So, of course we know. So the feedback I got from that was that they stopped foreign transplants. They carried on doing local commercial transplants, but they stopped foreign transplants because it was too much hassle to have us down on them. Um, so that's how we get to here. And so it's the physicians who look after patients who are incensed at the way in which their patients have been treated. What is the greatest frustration for you today when it comes to organ trafficking, from both from an outsider's perspective, just a listener right now, what do you need us to understand? And then professionally, what is your greatest frustration? I think the frustration is the, is the naivety of people who think this is going to be dealt with and it's all going to be solved. It's never. The pressure is always going to be there. Why? Because, as I explained at the beginning of the conversation, there are patients who are desperate. Accurately desperate or inaccurately desperate, doesn't matter. They're still desperate. Second thing is there are always going to be people who want to make money out of other people's desperation and have the persona that permits them to use other people's tragedies to make money for themselves, to enrich themselves. The research that's been done in the Philippines, in India, in Pakistan, it all says the same thing. People enter into these contracts because they think it's going to get them out of poverty. It doesn't. It lands them into worse poverty. And the reason it lands them into worse poverty is these are big operations, they leave big scars, and if you're a manual worker and you've had a carelessly done operation, you are much less able to work afterwards. So, in fact, people's immediate payment of debts is resolved, but their long-term outcome is worse. There are more people in poverty after they've sold an organ than there are before. Great solution. Don't take their kidney. Just give them the money. Thirdly, there are always going to be hospital administrations and hospitals on the brink that see this as a way of making money. I know there's at least one in Singapore, for example prepared to look the other way so and then I've got a funny feeling that we're not going to eliminate poverty so I think there are always going to be people prepared to sell something of themselves for a purpose so that constellation of things means that what we should expect is appropriate mechanisms of government control appropriate mechanisms of professional control appropriate perceptions in the community about what is right and what is wrong in this field and use those to control and to minimize we have it in business there are systems that governments have in control to stop the wide boys making too much money out of the uh, less capable Mm -hmm. it's called regulation and it's implemented and it needs financial regulators and it needs processes We have the same in health. It needs to be appropriately regulated by government. Got to stay that way. But it also, just as in the commercial and in the business world, we need a set of ethics that people who are doing the right thing can work to. That's got to stay. So from a listener's perspective, myself and my neighbours, this is not a victimless crime. There is a no harm, no foul conversation, but it's not this one. This one, it is always wrong under all circumstances. Trafficking is always wrong, absolutely, absolutely. And the thing that everybody can do is to ensure that this country remains a beacon for others 
to say it can be done it can be done well it can be done to high quality and we can meet the needs of as many of our own population as we can we won't rely on some poor country in the rest of the world to solve the problems on this land we will solve them for ourselves there is somebody possibly a listener right now screaming at the radio saying but my husband needs a transplant we can afford one why should i not get him one because the last person who said that came back dead professor jeremy chapman thank you for your time like what you've just heard there's more great podcasts or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au and remember vision is listener supported your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life learn more or donate today at vision.org.au